Welcome to the Learner-Centered Spaces podcast, where we empower and inspire ownership of learning, sponsored by Mastery Portfolio, hosted by Star Saxstein and Crystal Frommer. In each episode, we will bring you engaging conversations with a wide variety of educators, both in and out of the classroom. This podcast is created for educators who want to learn more about how to make the shift toward learner-centered spaces for their students, schools, and districts, or education at large. The Learner-Centered Spaces podcast is now a member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. We are so excited to have Chelsea Riccelli on the show today. Chelsea is a teacher at the Collegiate School in Memphis, Tennessee. Good evening, Chelsea. We're so happy to have you on the podcast. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, your location, some parts of your journey, and maybe an interesting fact? Sure. Um, I am a seventh grade math teacher. I teach in Memphis, Tennessee at the Collegiate School of Memphis, and I've been here at Collegiate for, um, this is going to be my fourth year as the seventh grade math teacher. And before that, I taught for about two, uh, two years in 11th grade math here in Memphis. I got started in teaching through the Memphis Teacher Residency Program. So through that program, I not only got to student teach for a year, but I also got my master's degree in urban education and have been doing it ever since. Um, uh, interesting fact about me is I'm uh, really into escape rooms and strategy board games. And so I think that kind of comes out in my classroom with just uh, what I value and what I try to inspire kids with, with their critical thinking and problem solving and making math engaging and fun and, and trying to teach them that these skills are uh, very applicable to many, many parts of our lives. I love that. I love a board game, so I could totally appreciate that. I think that when my son was really, um, when my son was really young, I started playing Scrabble with him like before he could spell, mm-hmm. um, as just like a way for him to start engaging with language. And by the time he was like six or seven, he could beat adults already, wow. like thinking, you know, just thinking strategically, not just with words or whatever because I did I did let him look things up on his phone if he couldn't spell them but like just how he was strategically able to play a board I think that it's amazing if you could bring that into a math class um I think kids probably really respond well to that Mm -hmm. how do kids respond when you bring things like that to them They really love it. So we, at our school, we're required to have a a bookshelf full of books for when kids finish early on anything. They're supposed to pick a book and read it. But I've kind of taken a a spin on that. And so in my bookshelf, I also have a shelf full of just like critical thinking games. Um, And so they're games like Blockus and um, what else do I have? Uh, a lot of like 3D mazes that they have to work through, um, like a gravity maze. Um, I have a uh, like a competitive Rubik's Cube game. So whenever they're done early with whatever assignment they have, if they've proven that they understand what they're doing, then they have 
free um, free reign to go to the bookshelf and pick out any board game or strategy game that they want to play with each other. And they can play independently like a canoodle and just kind of challenge themselves. Or they can, if someone else near them is done early too, then they can start a two or three player game. And they they just love it. They gravitate towards it all the time. Um, it kind of brings some competitiveness into the into the classroom. And it I just love the conversations that they have about what they're doing and they don't even realize that they're <laughs> that they're doing critical thinking that they need for you know just a, a regular math assignment as well I think that's absolutely amazing and I think that's right the more that we could kind of build those critical thinking skills into like intentional play situations in the mm-hmm. classroom is such an opportunity and it's also a great way for us to kind of lead into our next question about what a learner-centered space really means to you? What does it look like, sound like, feel like? Sure. Yeah. Um, I I really think that when you think about a learner-centered space, you have to think about how students are all different kinds of learners. And there shouldn't be one specific way to show your learning or experience your learning. So... what I try to create in my classroom is a very flexible kind of free flowing space for students to work. So, I mean, when you walk into my room, students might be working independently, silently on assignment, but there's kids sitting at couches at a coffee table working. There's kids working at a whiteboard working. Um, There's kids sitting on wobble stools working. Um, I'm able to work one-on-one on students with students that are struggling. Maybe a student has paired up with someone else to give some support. So there, it kind of looks like organized chaos, um, but kids are working in a way that helps them to learn better and it makes the learning more engaging. And I think that's also tied to um, what it sounds like. So students are encouraged in my class to dialogue about math all the time. Um, I'd prefer that my voice is heard a lot less than their voice because I think who's doing the talking is who's doing the learning. So I, I really feel like my, um, my voice is heard less and the students' voices are, are heard more. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what it looks like and what it sounds like. So... When you say dialoguing in a seventh grade math class, what, mm-hmm. like, can you say a little bit more about that as a high school English teacher? And I have this idea of what it means to have, you know, student to student talking kind of happening. Mm-hmm. But what does that look like in a seventh grade math class? So the majority of my time with introducing new content is I really like to just activate prior knowledge and give students a jumping off point, and then they're tasked with just wrestling with problems they've never seen before. And so when they're talking to, they're, they're working at whiteboard, standing up with each other, and they're talking about, um, sometimes it sounds like arguing, honestly, <laughs> they're, they're talking about a problem, how they want to do it, how their classmate wants to do it. Um, they're asked to talk about precision. Like, is this answer really precise? They're using language that we've talked about in class before. Like today we were talking about absolute value and using that term rather than saying whether a number was bigger or smaller than another number. So they're, they're having these conversations with one another and, and really trying to just wrestle through 
the problems and they've we've built an, a strong enough relationships with one another that there isn't this fear of, well, what if my answer is wrong? Or what if I, I don't really know what I'm doing? It's just kind of, we just kind of talk. We kind of just, I, we just kind of talk about it until we can figure it out. They can ask questions of, from me or from each other. And it, it just kind of organically happens from there. And I think our math teacher listeners will probably recognize a lot of what you're saying um, to model the building thinking classrooms. Mm -hmm. And that is where Chelsea and I met. We met at a building thinking classrooms conference in um, outside of uh, Indianapolis. And when I when I heard Chelsea present, I was like, okay, this is the kind of teacher I want to be like. This is what I want to do in my classroom uh, as a math teacher. So um, thank you for for that wonderful presentation. And and I completely agree with you that the kids who are the classroom that's talking, the classroom that's doing it, that's the classroom that's thinking. And that I think that works across all disciplines. Um, but one thing I'll, I, I've said this before on, on this podcast, um, so everybody who listens regularly knows that Crystal struggles with assessment, and I struggle with being a building thinking classrooms teacher um, and being learner-centered, but also doing the testing and the quizzing and, and the assessments that I'm required to do. So I'm curious how that works in your classroom and how it works at your school. Um, how do you assess what they're learning? Mm-hmm. So this year... Um, I've kind of, over the last few years, built and morphed what I view assessment as. So I really think that at its core, assessments need to be a way for students to understand their own understanding. So they need to be able to tell, is this, do I know what I'm doing based on this test? And historically, when we give students a especially a math test, like a unit test, and they get this grade back of an A or a B. Students don't really know what that means about their own learning and their own understanding. So this year, I've been really working with students um, and teaching them this score, what does the score tell me about my own understanding? And where do I go from here based on that understanding? And so assessments in grades specifically are very fluid in our classroom. They can change constantly um, based on a student's understanding. And that's kind of the, the, the main line I tell them is, is your grade is going to reflect what you understand in this class. If it takes you a week, great. If it takes you six weeks, that's fine too. And I don't want students to feel like they have to be fast to be considered good at learning. Um, so what I've noticed, especially about seventh graders, and I'm guessing this is true about high schoolers too, is they've never really been taught how to reflect on their understanding after an assessment. So this year, I've been implementing a lot of reflection tools after most assessments where students have to um take their grade and they have to figure out what does this tell me about my understanding? Do I understand this very well or do I not understand it very well? And they are, based on that, they're making choices on what they need to do next. So we call them action steps. So if my score is, most of my scores are out of six. Six is a full understanding on this one specific skill. If they understand that skill with a four, 
okay, well, where do we go from there? What should we do next? And students actually write about it, and then they figure out what they should practice next based on it. I really like that reflection piece. I do the same thing. We do a, a test reflection, um, and I, I tell them just because we tested on a certain unit or a chapter, it doesn't mean that the learning is finished. We still need to carry the skills on and the concepts on to the next learning. Um, so I love that you're teaching them that in such an early age. It's such a good thing mm-hmm. for them to learn the metacognition of, of their own learning. My next question is um, for our listeners who want to be more learner-centered in their spaces and in their classrooms or at their schools, you know, what advice do you have for someone who's trying to do that? Mm-hmm. So I think it's chunked into two categories, as my advice would be would be chunked. Um, one is if you when, when you're trying to get your classroom to look and feel more learner centered, um, letting go of some of the control and saying what what small bits of prior knowledge can I activate and and give students a starting point and then just let them run with it. Um, and you'll be surprised with what students talk about, what they come up with, the connections they make, and be willing to and be prepared to um, further the dialogue around those connections rather than going on this one specific path of teaching something one specific way. So we went, when we let students have control over the way um, that you come to this conclusion of learning, they're much more invested in it and it is more meaningful to them. And then also um, giving up some of that control of how your classroom looks, right? Giving students the ability to feel more comfortable in their space when they're being asked to do really hard things. So maybe that looks like students working at a whiteboard or maybe that looks like having um, a more more casual area of learning that students can kind of rotate through and around. And then the other um, chunk of advice is around assessments. So I think that what I kind of spoke about before is like we really have to teach students to understand what assessments mean and what they tell them about themselves. That's not just a skill that they know. Um, they just come in knowing. And they've that's not been a skill that's been taught to them in, in younger years. So taking the time to analyze data with students and talk about what can we do to study at home? What does studying look like? Um, How will that help us understand better? Why does this matter for what's coming next? And building those connections with them and making it um, purposeful for them. Wow, Chelsea, so much of what you're saying really resonates with me. Um, As a high school English teacher, I definitely also had the same experience as you described. A lot of times, By the time I had um, my 12th graders, nobody had specifically taught them to reflect. Mm -hmm. But when I started implementing different scaffolded strategies for helping them to be more thoughtful about their learning, it not only helped them articulate and advocate for their own growth, it gave me an opportunity to really adjust my expectations as well as my feedback to truly differentiate for what they needed. Um, which really changed the dynamic in our learning space. So that that's awesome to hear, but you're starting with kids as early as seventh grade in math, which would be a class that most folks would typically say, um, maybe it doesn't look the same. I know that when I work with math teachers, they're always like, but you're an English teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it can go both ways. <laughs> it, can, sure. it, can, it can cross contents. It's important everywhere. Totally agree with that. So 
if you had the opportunity right now to shout out people you think really do a great job with learner-centered spaces or doing really awesome things that empower kids in the classroom, who would you like to shout out? Um, well, we've talked about it earlier, but I a lot of what I'm doing in my classroom stems from Peter Liliudal's book on building thinking classrooms. And I think that, I mean, it's initially uh, written for the math classroom, but there's so many insightful things that be, can be gleaned um, for all contents. Um, even if you just try a few of the things in your classroom, I think you'll be so surprised by how it engages students in the thinking process and the learning process rather than just um, sitting back and experiencing it um, as a passive learner. Well, thank you, Chelsea. Are you active on social media? Is there a place where our listeners could follow you? I'm not really. I'm, That's okay. I'm, I, I do. Yeah. I, I pour a lot of what I do into what I make for my classroom and I don't have much time for social media. So get that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for your time. I think this will be so helpful for our listeners and um, just keep doing the great work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. Thank you for learning with us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you'd like any additional information from the show, check out the show notes. Learn more about Mastery Portfolio and how we support schools at masteryportfolio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mastery for All and on LinkedIn on the Mastery Portfolio page. And we'd love your feedback. Please write a review on your favorite podcasting app.